chapter 3. And uh, I have a problem. I'm not preaching this morning. At least not at the moment, because my notes in my Bible are in the back. I've got to take a stroll here. Thank you, Brother Glenn. All right, trying to coordinate everything in five different directions. I left everything back there. Malachi chapter 3. And this morning, we are looking at Watch Your Mouth, part 2. If you were here last week, we talked about Watch Your Mouth, part 1. So, if you turn... Verse 13, Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. I want to read verse 13 through 15 again to set the stage again of where we are talking about. Verse 13 Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we should keep his ordinance and that we should walk mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that, are, that tempt God are even delivered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that... Uh, You gave some harsh instructions to your people. Father, sometimes in our walk as Christians, and especially in this world when it comes to Christendom, that there are people who uh, have diluted Christianity down to a bunch of happy thoughts. And that everything is wonderful and acceptable in love. And Father, when we look at a book of... uh, Areas where you were unhappy with your people and you were not afraid to call them out on it. And Lord, uh, here again, you're offering your displeasure with the things that uh, your people were saying. Father, I just pray that you'd help us this morning. We looked at the first half of this last week and we'll have a reminder by way of review. But Lord, there are a couple of pointers here that we can see to help us the way we communicate, the way we use words in our language. Lord, so that you don't have to be displeased with our behavior. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, you would help my mind. Lord, be with me. uh, Help me to share those things that are most useful for your Holy Spirit as he works on each one of our hearts. But, Father, I thank you for your word that no no one here in this church ever has to come up with truth. We don't have to create it. We have it very clearly in your word. And, Lord, it's just a privilege to be able to stand before God's people and just walk us through things we can learn today. So, Lord, bless in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by way of review... uh, Remember, God said these words were stout against me. And I'll look at that in a minute. God brings up another issue against Israel. Now, please remember, 
I was doing research, watching about uh, the coming of the Messiah uh, for Christmas. Because I got it right this time. I didn't say Easter. Uh, for Christmas. Um, and uh, how the children of Israel had waited so, so long. Okay, and you remember, after, even after this book of Malachi is written, there's 400 years of waiting before God speaks again. Okay, now how old is America? Anybody got an idea? Everybody's going... Well, it's not 400 years old yet, is it? No. So imagine, as long as our country has been in existence, and how we look and go, how things have changed, and the direction things have gone. Imagine waiting for 400 years when God had made promises and not seeing anything take place. And how frustrating that must have been. Okay, if you are not in the right spirit. And then consider about 2,500 years worth of promises about a coming Messiah, about a deliverance, about things that we'll talk about and make reference to when we look at our Christmas sermon, that God had promised that a Messiah would come. So you've got 2,500 years. You've got 400 years of silence. Finally, Jesus comes. And unfortunately, it was at a point where many of the children of God had stopped paying attention. They had stopped looking. They had stopped having it as a primary thought in their daily walk. Now I say that because we've tried to remind ourselves that it's been 2,000 plus years since Jesus was here. And he birthed his church and we have a mission to deliver the gospel to the world. And he said, um, I'm coming again. I'm going to gather you up to myself, and where I am, there you'll be too. My father's prepared mansions, and man, I'm going to bring this thing to a close, and you just wait. And we've been waiting, haven't we? And we keep saying verses like the end of uh, uh, Revelation where he says, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yet we still sit and twiddle our thumbs waiting. And if we're not careful we can fall into the same rut that these children of Israel did. And that is, well, it's been so long. Maybe it's just never going to happen. Maybe it won't happen today. Remember how God had told us to just continue to look. Keep your eyes open. Be spiritually minded. Listen, before I get the next word out of my mouth, the trumpet might blow. I'm ready. How about you? Woohoo! But if not, it may be tomorrow, maybe the next day. We have to understand that we can't sit back and say, well, things are just kind of cruising on, uh, on the smooth road. You know, we set the cruise control and we can just kick back and relax. That's what the children of Israel wound up doing. And they got complacent, they got lazy, and all of a sudden now they say, why do we even do this? What effort... So with that in mind, that's where God was. The, the words have been stout against me. Heavy, strong. And we talked about the fact that these words were not cuss words. Okay, I try to use cuss because it helps us a little bit. Curse words in the Bible is actually putting like a hex on someone or a curse. Cuss is, uh, right Barb? That's a good Georgia word, isn't it? That's a cuss. Okay, foul language, profanity, right? We're not talking about the words that God had been upset about was words that would be censored on uh, Twitter 
okay? This was just regular everyday words that they had put together that upset God. And the point was, keep going. Now we call the proud happy, yea, the wicked are set up. They have tempted God or even delivered. They were measuring themselves against the wicked and judging themselves as not being as prosperous as the rest of the world, and they were frustrated with it. Um, So this is all review. Remember, this is exactly what we learned last week, that the children of Israel were like, what profit is in this for me? what's, What's the benefit? What am I getting out of this deal? And why am I putting myself through such turmoil of my heart to obey God's command when there's a whole world full of people who aren't doing that? Why am I feeling guilty and feeling like I failed the Lord and trying my best to live up to a set of standards that nobody else is living up to and they're getting blessed for it? That's where God's coming from in this point. Now, to continue, he has said it is vain to serve the Lord, right? So essentially, there's no profit. No wonder God is upset. In other words, what's in it for me? Now, with that in mind, we're going to go on to the next section There are four areas this morning that you and I need to be careful and you and I need to set as warning signs in our lives so that we don't get into the same sort of conversation. That this language, these words that they were using, this feeling of complacency, this looking at the world and their prosperity doesn't trap us in it. Um... I was telling Dan, I said uh, this last couple of days, I was watching videos again about Christmas and, and things like that, just trying to prep and get in my mind. And they're ones you can play at church, you know, they're designed for making you think. And uh, one of them was just a video about Thanksgiving. And the gentleman is a box full of goods and he's walking out of his empty office. And he says, thank you, God, that when you close the door, you know you, I can trust that you're going to take care of me. And he, another one, there's a father and a mother sitting at the table looking at a pile of bills that says, last warning, final this, you know, big pink copies of late charges on credit cards and things. And just say, Father, thank you that you'll provide my needs. And there's another one where the guy's outside, got his hood open, the car is smoking, and a brand new Ford Mustang drives by. Of course, those Mustangs they make now are ugly, but that's a different point. Um, okay, well, beautiful looking car, and he just looks at his, that car driving by and then looks at his and says, Lord, thank you for being able to get me a vehicle that gets around. And then he basically says, but an upgrade wouldn't be bad. But too often we look at the prosperity of this world and think somehow we are slighted as God's people. And too often we have to remember, especially in comfy, lazy, spoiled, rotten America, that there are Christians all around this planet who would think they were a billionaire just to have what we have. We need to be careful we're not looking at this world in the wrong way. And so today, I want to take us through four things in this passage that can help you and I avoid these kind of feelings 
especially toward God. First off, be careful that you don't talk to others when you ought to be talking to God. There's a lot of directions I can go in this that we could spend all morning talking about this, but I want you to understand in this passage, the way that this is written, it says, God says, you have spoken these words, stout words against me. And they basically said, what words have we said against you, God? When you look at the way it's put together, they were saying the words. They just weren't directing those words toward God. So who were they directing those words to? Other people, other believers. Okay, so they were complaining, they were griping, they were saying a bunch of things that ought not have been said, but they weren't saying them to God. They were saying them to others. And I think you and I know uh, the danger in how we communicate with other Christians. Um, Again, I'm going to try to stay with my notes just because we can go off on a lot of different tangents in this subject. I don't want to do that. Uh, Go back to that page. Okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, Okay. I said those things. You were right. Okay. Uh, It may be spoken to other believers, but it's against God. Remember something Even Jesus himself said, you know, if you do something unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now imagine for a moment a child of God at that time period or here in our church or this era um, is excited about serving God. God, you know, they're a believer. They got a passion for it. And they run into an old stale Grinch of a Christian who begins to speak in their ear, yeah, well, I've been serving God my whole life and I haven't seen one benefit out of it at all. Be careful. Jesus says, listen, you do that sin against one of my little ones, one of my least of my brethren, you're doing it against me. So God in Leviticus, Malachi says, You haven't maybe said these things directly to me, but you've been saying them. And just because you've been saying them, it is stout words against me. Be careful on the language, the words, the communication you have with other believers. All right, uh, keep going. Finally, brethren, you know this passage, don't you? Whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You know, God warns us that if you're going to have communication, let it be for exhortation. Now, this is the problem, and i got another sermon I could preach right here out of this. Are you ready for it? Here it comes. Horror movies. I can list a lot more things. What does that verse say we should be thinking about? Good things, pure things, honest things, lovely things. The problem is sometimes we put a lot of un, thank you, ugly things in our minds. 
Careful. Now, please, I'm not telling you not to go watch Freddy Krueger or whatever you want to watch. That's fine. Some of you are not bothered by that stuff at all. It can float off, you know, go off your back like a duck. That's fine. But I, I want us to understand something. We've gotten to the point so much that we are God's people that it doesn't matter what I put into my brain, what I spend time processing, when God specifically reminds us that there's a path our minds should take on a daily basis, and that's good, honest, truth, lovely. Think on these things. The problem is, when you start thinking about all that other negative stuff, then you begin to start sharing all that negative stuff with other believers, which is exactly what the problem was. That God was saying, your words have been so hurtful. Remember that word, stout? Just again, as an illustration, God used that word in Deuteronomy to represent when a man forces himself on a woman. That it represented a rape. That's the, he's not just saying, your words were stout, you know, strong bull. It meant they were so forceful and, and corrupt and conquering toward me. You overthrew God with your words. We need to make sure we get our minds where they belong. And then be careful on how we communicate. Keep going. I like this one. Hezekiah in 2 Kings received the letter. Now just to set this up, there were uh, kings coming to overthrow Jerusalem and Hezekiah was the king. And there they sent ambassadors and information was coming back. Okay, and Hezekiah was basically told in this letter that I am coming and even your God can't stop me. Okay, and we know God's in control, but when you are the king and this massive force of an enemy comes and sends you a letter that says we're coming and we're going to wipe you off the earth. That's fantastic news, isn't it? That can bring you to thinking about things you don't want to think about. That could, what do you do? So Hezekiah got on his smartphone and said a, said a text, group text to everybody in the kingdom and says, we're done for. Or he grabbed all of his leaders and pulled them in and started to try to figure out how we're going to con our way out of this one or whatever. No, do you see what he did? Letter by the hand of messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread that letter before the Lord. He didn't go to anybody else complaining about what was about to happen, voicing his fear, wondering if God was going to bless his kingdom because of how he has served him from all these years. He went up to the house of the Lord, spread that letter for, before God and said basically, God, this is your problem, not mine. You're in control. We are your people. You promised us that you would take care of us. And he laid it before the Lord. How many times do we hear something we don't particularly like and the first thing we do is to go to somebody else we know and complain about it? Well, did you hear such a thing? And again, I'm with you. Man, I see things on the news right now. I just, if, I could, if I lived close to some of these people 
that are in leadership in our country, I'd probably be in jail. Because I just want to go up and just smack them. That's my flesh. But you know what? There's too often I get on, watch something on the news and text my kids, did you see what so-and-so said and what they're trying to pass? Being aware of those things is fine. But the person I should probably be going to with it first is God. Now I'm not saying that Hezekiah had, uh, uh, hid his head in the sand and did nothing. But his first heartfelt response when he got this devastating news was to go lay it before the Lord. And see, that's the problem that the children of Israel were having here in Malachi is they were having this feelings about the prosperity of the world, but instead of going to God with their issue, they went to others about the issue And God says, your words were hurtful against me. We need to be careful on how we use our words, how we communicate, especially when there's something we don't like. And none of us ever have any things we don't like, right? Okay. Too often Christians get information, then they go straight to others, not to God. You know what Ephesians says? And this is, we use this verse a lot. This is the the non-cussing verse. Okay? When the Bible talks about, you know, don't use curses, it's talking about literal curse, okay? Put a hex on somebody. This is the verse we use about corrupt, about, you know, foul language. That you shouldn't be having any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But how do you define corrupt communication? Well, God defines it right in the verse. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Let's flip over that coin but that which is to the uh, yeah that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers we as believers need to make sure that our communication is based on what is going to minister good now i know it's really quiet and all of us have curled our toes up because we don't want them to get stepped on because I think we've all fallen into the place in our lives at some point where we were sharing information and communicating stuff that wasn't ministering grace to the hearers. That all it was was causing problems. And just a warning, God says that kind of stuff are stout words against me. If you've got a criticism, if you've got a problem, if you've got something, hey, go to God first. Somebody nod. Okay, good. Keep going. Often there's gossip, paddle-tailing, offenses shared about God's people. I don't like this, or I don't like that, or did you see the earrings that she was wearing, or whatever? Pastor wears sneakers to church every Sunday. They got flat feet, they're comfortable. What do you want? Be careful. We need to make sure our communication is not corrupt communication that if we're thinking on things that are pure and honest and lovely and those are the kind of things that we're sharing that minister grace into the hearers there have been too many times in 
church situations where I have run into Christians who don't go to church anymore because people just talk about one another. And most of the conversations aren't that good. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Okay, because God says, if you do it against one of the least of my brethren, you're doing it against me. Okay, too often. Here we go. Remember, there is a biblical de- way to deal with serious issues. Now, I, I put this in here as a, as a clause. Uh, if you've got a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, and there's something that needs to get deal with, uh, dealt, with, deal, dealt with, that God has set a scripture for this, that you go to a mature believer or a leader and say, bring them with you okay, to get advice to help with keeping it spiritual and keeping it focused on what it needs to be. All right, God has a way to deal with this. So if I'm not saying, oh, I can't ever say anything about somebody. If there's a problem, God has worked out a way to deal with a problem. Because I've been a problem before. Okay, you know what happens? Some of you have done it and uh, have come and said, Pastor, can I talk to you? Yeah. Can you sit down? Uh Uh-oh. Do you have your Bible? Oh, brother. (laughs) And they'll say something you said or something you did, and I'll say, I'm so sorry, I didn't understand it. I didn't know that's how you felt. And we work it out. Because sometimes you go to, but notice, I didn't, that person didn't go to anybody else. They came straight to me first, so we can deal with it. If I said, oh, you're a jerk, go away. Then you might just have to Matthew 18 it and say, I've got to bring somebody else into this so we can deal with it. So God gives a provision for that. But what we're talking about is just general conversation about, well, sister so-and-so, did you know that she, and that was just irritate? Listen, is that ministering grace unto the hearers? Careful. Last time I checked, on a daily basis, God has about six million things he can gripe about me yet he still works with me and loves me and helps me. We're supposed to be an example of Christ, right? Not, well, I just don't know about her because, well, he is just a, careful. If we're going to live like our Savior and not have stout words against him, he overlooks a lot of our issues and says, yeah, but what can we do to make it better? Amen. This verse, oh, she went on already. Please be careful. This verse scares the dickens out of me. This is not the whole passage. You can read it yourself later if you want, but Proverbs 16, 6 verse 16 says, These six things thus the Lord hate, yea, seven are abominations. So God sets a stage here on what, how he feels about these things. He hates them. They're an abomination to him. And so many Christians, and I love this, because we get our priorities messed up, There's things in our culture that are just an abomination to God. Come on. You've heard it, right? There's things going on in our world that we, God would call this a terrible, terrible thing in his eyes. Look at the last one on the list. He that soweth discord among the brethren. You want to know things that God considers an abomination. God says, if you're with my people and you're saying words that aren't for the edifying, that aren't for grace to the hearers, aren't ministering good, and you're sowing discord, okay, that's people being in one accord or being in discord, 
if it is things that is driving people apart, God says, I hate that. Man, I hate that. And that's exactly what the problem was here in Malachi. They were saying things about God, and God says, you are so in discord among the brethren, and I hate it. I hate it. Now, I'm just trying to remind us how important. Listen, like, oh, did I tell you we could preach a whole other sermon about, it was probably three more, about how God considers the tongue such a dangerous thing? If we're not watching our language and being careful, that was the biggest problem here. God says, your words are causing a problem. Why? Because you're talking about things that you ought not to be talking about, and I hate it. Okay, keep going. Point number two. So we need to watch who we're saying our things to. Stop saying stuff you ought not to to others. Go to God if you've got an issue. And if it's bigger than you need to, bring someone who you trust in the faith to help deal with it. Number two, looking at a situation and forgetting God's eternal plan. Fantastic here. I almost sang this song this morning, but I figured I'm not going to just keep singing songs that I'm putting on all my servants. Okay? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. What they were doing, they were looking around going, God, why is everybody in the world who don't care about you and not serving you, why are they getting all the abundance? Why are they living high on the hog? Why does it seem like the proud are getting away with it and those who are wicked are just getting blessed? I don't get it, God. You ever feel that way? Don't lie to me. Yes, you do. So many people, believers in the Old Testament trusted in promises about the future and never saw any of it come true. Remember God promised them a future home with him? That We're still waiting for that one. They promised them a, a Messiah that would take away their sins. They promised them a, a conquering king. That hadn't happened yet. All those things they're still waiting for. Matter of fact, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. We know this chapter, right? We call it the faith chapter. And God lists a bunch of heroes of the faith. And look at what it says. This is amazing. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. So he's going he's gonna to go ahead and list Noah and Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and all these folks, Sarah, and all these heroes of the faith. And he says, listen, by faith, they received a good report. But at the end of the chapter, it says all these heroes of the faith, all these elders, have obtained a good report through faith, receiving not the promise. They lived their lives by faith all through the Old Testament, not receiving anything that God had promised them yet. Next verse. Verse 13. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but, but, having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This is what the children of Israel had forgotten in Malachi. Why is everybody around us getting blessings? Why is their bank accounts full? Why do they have these big houses? Why are they getting away with murder? And God reminds us, you know, there was a whole hero, group of heroes of the faith 
who knew what God had promised were persuaded that he was going to deliver those things. And even though they didn't see them while he were alive, they knew. They knew that they were only pilgrims and strangers on this earth. This is what they've forgotten. I don't belong here. This world's not my home. So if I'm looking around going, Lord, why aren't I getting what the rest of everybody's getting? I don't want it here because this is not where I'm living. I'm on my way someplace else. And those promises that God promised all the Old Testament saints and the faithful and he made to the church since then are all still to come for us. We are, are you persuaded by faith that those things are waiting for us? Because we're just strangers and pilgrims? I tried to work on my John Wayne accent for that pilgrim. I, that's, every time I hear him say that, I'm reminded that I don't belong here. So why am I scratching and biting and trying to get my peace when this is not where I belong? Keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For in much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now remember what they said in Malachi? What profit is it that we're doing all this? And God says, Brethren, remember, know for a fact that your labor is not in vain. I just don't get it on this side. I'm just a pilgrim. It's coming. Once I get to my home, the blessings are going to be there. Now, I don't want to sell God short. He did say he would take care of us. But our inheritance isn't here. So why are we serving? For ourselves or for the Lord? Because it says that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Contrast that with the people in Malachi saying... What profit is it for me if I'm serving God? Be persuaded. Understand our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, keep going. Number three. <clears throat> three. Comparing ourselves with others and not to God's plan. Um, there's one verse that kept popping into my mind and I couldn't help it, so we wanted to go. The psalm that Asaph wrote in uh, Psalm 73 and listen to some of his words and listen to what we were just talking about and the way the children of Israel were feeling. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world and they increase in riches. Sound familiar? Asaph's going, listen, Lord, I'm walking, looking around this world and I don't understand why the wicked and why all these people are getting blessed? Keep going. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend the generation of thy children. And when I thought to do this, it was too painful for me. Asaph is saying the exact thing that the children of Israel were doing. 
He's like, I look at the wicked, I see how it's going, and I don't get it, I don't understand it, Lord. And he said, I wanted to even share this with God's children, the children of Israel. But contrary to the stout words that those folks were using, Asaph said, I wasn't going to do that. It was too painful for me. I wasn't going to go start complaining about my God, that it seems like the wicked are living high on the hog, but God's people aren't. And he said, I wouldn't dare. Sound familiar? Because we weren't looking at eternal things that were more focused on temporal things about today. Now look at this. This is great. Asaph comes to a conclusion. Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But you know what? The wicked and those who are not followers of God, they have an end. And they may be living high on the hog here in this temporal world, but they can't take any of it with them. So don't be jealous. Don't be envious. They have an end. What an amazing illustration of what the children of Israel needed to see from Asaph. I saw this. I was jealous. I didn't get it until all of a sudden I went to God's house and I understood. When I looked at the big picture, when I saw the eternal plan, then it made a whole lot of sense. And I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Keep going. So God promises, God's promises to his people are eternal. Right? Amen. Well, I got a home on the other side. Okay? I've got a God, a Savior, or a, a, my loved ones who've gone before. There's a mansion, a, a beautiful dwelling place for eternity in a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. That's my future. That's where I've laid up my treasures in heaven, and you lay up your treasures in heaven. Right? Lay not up treasures here where moth and doth, doth corrupt. And thieves break through and steal. But lay up your treasures in heaven. That's the end. That's the thing we are looking forward to. There is an everlasting inheritance. Well, I don't got a brand new car here. I don't know if I'd trade a brand new, you know, Mustang. If that means I lose out on heavenly inheritance. When I see their end, it reminds me, there's a spiritual, everlasting, eternal plan that we're a part of. We don't need to gripe about how things are here. We don't belong. Next phrase. Fourth one. Sometimes we forget who we are. One of the realities about us is we're a bunch of sinners who don't deserve a single thing. My inheritance, what I've earned for the life that I have, is an eternity in hell. I don't deserve one bit of what God gives. Yet a loving God, a merciful God, a giving God, provided a way through His Son so that I can be delivered for what I deserve 
And we talk about this verse in 1 Corinthians 5.18, right? Where God takes our sin from us and exchanges it with His righteousness. I don't deserve that. So how dare anybody step back and say, what profit is in this for me? You don't deserve anything. As a matter of fact, that word profit in the scriptures, go to this next section, means a cut, a piece, a greedy. You ever use these phrases? Hey, what's my cut? Right? I want my piece of the pie. That's exactly what this phrase means. What profit do I get out of this? And I told Dan this morning, he talked about the fact that there's a purchase that Christ did for us. There's a purchase that we do for Him. When you put your entire heart and soul into serving God, and you can earn, you can gain blessings. Versus this. They weren't worried about purchase. They were worried about profit. Totally different concept. And Dan talked about that this morning as deacons and as leaders in the church we ought to be looking to see what we can purchase how i can make an effort toward god and then in in like things because we can't outgive god he will bless you well they weren't looking for that they're just sitting back and saying what's my profit what's my cut you know i've been doing all this serving you lord I'm, where's mine flip sides of the same coin you and I who don't deserve a thing have the privilege to serve God and because of that, he'll supply our needs. But if we're not careful, we get to think that God is privileged to have me on his team. And before I do anything serving you, Lord, I'd like my uh, retirement package, my uh, vacation, uh, my, I want everything displayed on the table before I get involved here. I need to know what is in it for me. And that's what the children of Israel were having a problem with. They were talking bad about God because all they were thinking about was what was in it for them. What's my cut? Matter of fact, that word profit, if you break it down to its purest form, was the idea of a tailor or a seamstress where they would take a bolt of cloth and cut a section off so that they can use it. Saying, where, where, where's the piece that belongs to me? And the problem is, if we're not forgetting, nothing belongs to us. As a matter of fact, uh, oh, I just wanted to show you that God uses this word for the first time in the scripture, this word prophet. Joseph, uh, his brothers turn on him, and they're going to kill him. Remember, they throw him in a pit, and they're all going to kill, kill him because they think he's the special child with the coat of many colors and god loves a uh, dad loves him more than anybody else and they're jealous and judah has a brilliant idea he's like wait 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 wait, let's not kill him what profit is in it for us if we just kill him hey here comes some slave traders coming around the corner if we sell them off at least we can get something out of the deal this is the same concept that god's people were saying what can i get out of this deal here, I'll read the verses anyway. And Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it for if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers were content. Why should we just kill him? 
we can get profit out of this deal. <laughs> if we wheel and deal, maybe each of us can get a good cut. I look at some of it. I can't help Jeremiah and Samuel smiling. I'm thinking, I would sell my brother for a good profit. No. Okay, anyway, keep going. We do not deserve any of God's blessing. Anything we get from God is more than we deserve. And we can't expect anything. Why? Because we don't even belong to ourselves anymore. Do we? We're bought with a price. I'm not my own. So if I'm sitting back trying to complain about what I'm, getting, what I'm not getting, well, you don't get anything because you don't belong to you anymore. And this is something I've been working on putting this together as a teaser sermon. You know how many Christians right now, and it, there's a struggle in um, sexuality, there's a struggle in identity. There's a struggle in these areas. And something that you and I need to remember is when we are in Christ, we don't get what we want anymore. So we say, well, I'm a Christian, but I want to identify as this. Tough. You don't belong to you anymore. Well, I'd like that. It doesn't matter what you want. We now put all that aside we sacrifice, we lay down our flesh, and we walk in the Spirit. Well, my flesh says I want to be such and such. I'm attracted to men. I'm attracted to women. Who knows what in the world I am? And God says, that doesn't matter. You're not your own anymore. Every one of us put aside the desires of our flesh to walk in the Spirit. And I don't care what the desire is. Whether it's a sexual desire, whether it's an identity, a gender desire, whether it's a leadership desire, whether it's a money, desire, we put all those things aside and say, I'm not my own anymore. I don't live for me. I live for God. And that's something that this world of Christianity has forgotten because everybody's trying to dig for their little portion. Well, I'm a Christian, but I want to be this. Well, you're not your own. You don't get to choose what you do. Because you forget who you are. I forget who I am. That's what happened here in, in Malachi. They... We're talking to the wrong people about the wrong stuff. They were looking at others and their prosperity. They were not contemplating how they fit into God's big picture. And they were not remembering that honestly, they don't deserve anything. So then when they were looking going, where's my cut? Where, how, what profit is this? So you and I, as we're walking through our life, need to realize that if we remember that relationship that we have with God, how precious it is that he's my heavenly father. I don't belong to me anymore. I'm his. I don't deserve anything, but hallelujah, he blesses me. And I don't have to compare myself to the rest of this world because I don't belong here. And I certainly don't need to go bad-mouthing it around other people because God is awesome. And I should be sharing words that minister grace that uplift and not discord among the brethren. That's what the problem with the children in Malachi were, and that's a warning for us. Keep going. Do we have complaints? Do we? Yes. Don't lie. 
And maybe not, you're going, no, I love our church. I'm not necessarily talking about our church. I'm just talking about in general. There's a lot of things. I got a list. Okay, start talking to me about politics. I got complaints. But what do I do with them? They're ultimately with God. There's a verse in the Bible, isn't there, that talks about that the people who are in authority, God's put them there? Yes. So the president we have, God knows he's there. He didn't slip in under the radar and God went, Joe, are you serious? God knows exactly what he's doing. So if we have complaints, be careful. Because God knows what he's doing. So if you have something to say, bring it to God. He's the best one to fix the issue anyway, isn't he? Please, and this is something, again, I shared this with Dan first thing this morning, that going through the leadership qualities of bishops and deacons and wives and, and, and just Christians in general as they're coming up into God's uh, system and as they're growing in maturity, the privilege that you and I have to be a part of what God is doing. And we cannot underestimate that. We are worthless nothings. Yet God loved us enough to save us, given us the ability to grow in His faith, and uses us. We don't need to compare ourselves to the people in this world. They hated Jesus, they're going to hate us too. Just remember who we belong to and how awesome it is that we're His kids. And just watch the words we say. You with me? Was that my last slide? No, it's not. The real issue is realizing what's truly important, and that is our relationship with God. Just thought I was just saying. We're his kids. Do you have one today? I look across the board, and most of us, I believe, understand that God is our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. But have we been focusing on other circumstances or, or other situations and letting our language, comparing ourselves to others, all the things we just talked about? Don't let God find your words against Him. He loves you. If there's anything we should be doing always is praising Him for who He is because He doesn't do anything wrong ever. So if we got a gripe... Bring it to God. He can take care of it. If not, measure who you're sharing it with because it might just be considered words that are discord, words that are stout against God that he doesn't want to hear. He loves us so much, we ought to be sharing words of love about him all the time. Amen? Now, with that in mind, we're going to have communion here in a moment. And God's word commands us to Take a look introspectively. We're supposed to examine our own selves. Now I know you and I do it on a daily basis. I hope you do. I hope you get with God and examine yourself. Ask Him how things are going. Check in with Dad just to make sure. But then we schedule this every month to make sure that it's a regular thought. But especially on a day like this where we hear how we don't deserve anything that we have. 
that all of it is because we belong to God and we're privileged to be a part of his family and a part of his service. So if we represent him and we're his kids and we better represent him well, sometimes it's good to take a moment and say, Father, how am I doing? Is there areas that I can tune up? I'll tell you right now, I got areas I can tune up. And in a minute, I'm going to go before my Lord and ask him for help again to become, become more like what he wants me to. So with that in mind, I'm going to have Glenn come forward at this point. Uh, 